Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome back to the Commission Podcast. It has been a little while since we've been with you. Lots of things going on with COVID. We're starting to come out of the pandemic. Jed, you've had some incredible life experiences going on. Your son recently just got married. Share if you want a little bit about that. Well, it's great to be back in the booth with you. It has been a hot minute since we've been recording. You know, just think about the, the pandemic we've all been through. We're still kind of coming out of COVID. Think about the just the tumult our country has been on in the last year work, ministry, there's been so much happening and we've we've just needed to kind of put recording back as a priority. So it's great to be back with you, Eric. It's great to be back with our listeners. Yeah, likewise. And so I'm looking forward to heading into our second season as we record, you know, more podcasts here for Commission. Yeah, awesome. And we have back with us today a special guest. He's been yeah. on before, Donnie Williams good friend. And uh, he's actually on our board of directors for House of David Ministries. So we're excited to have you back. Welcome, Donnie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, we Last time we met with you, we heard a little bit about your personal story and it was it was powerful. And uh, there's there were just some uh, topics that, uh, Jed, you and I wanted to dig into in this episode and I think the next episode as well. And really, we want to give the, our listeners a chance, Donnie, to kind of hear from you and, and maybe walk a little bit in your shoes as an African-American Christian man in, in this country, in the United States. What are and what have been some of your experiences um, with racism, systemic racism, division in the church? And then, Jed, I'd like after that to kind of turn it to you to, you know, sort of respond. But um, and in the next episode also, I, I really want us to get to the core of where we as a church, as Christians, men and women, where we are supposed to be in terms of the ministry of reconciliation. What is our calling? What is our, what has God given us the mantle to carry and uh, the gift that he has called to bring us not just to the body of Christ, but also to this nation and to all the nations. It, of course, it really is all about ultimately the restoration of God's kingdom, right. the very heart and center, which is Israel, but ultimately the restoration of all the nations that yeah. are connected to Israel, the very heart of God's kingdom. And, and I love what you're saying, Eric, uh, because really the reason God brought us together to do this podcast was to talk about the beauty of the one new man. Yes. You know, Jew-Gentile reconciliation and oneness, and that's the heart of the ecclesia, mm -hmm. is that we're a family. And so here we are in context in America, struggling with our narrative, the history of our country, what people of color, different ethnicities have been experiencing in our country. and the the whole country is talking about this and what is god saying to us all what is he calling us to regardless of what ethnic tribe we derive from they're all beautiful they're all made in his image and they are all called to the table of brotherhood in the kingdom mm -hmm. led by the lord of lords the king of kings jesus that's right and Amen. so that's why this is such an important key conversation to continue to have and you know coming back to hearing from Donnie the last time we were in the in the booth hearing some of some of his story but now a lot of a lot of other things have happened in America even since that time 
So I think it's a great moment to re-engage and to come yeah. back around and say, hey, uh, let's hear from each other's hearts. You know, it's not so much what, what Donnie, Jed, or Eric are saying, but we're all grappling and asking, Jesus, what are you saying? And mm-hmm. let's line up with that, right? That's, right? That's kind of the goal of our podcast. Yeah. Amen. That's right. So Donnie, yeah. Tell us a little bit. I know you've, you've got a story you wanted to share. So yeah, let me just turn over to you and let's hear your story. Mm. Well, first I just want to just greet all your viewers, all your listeners, and is really glad to be here, a part of this and part of what God is doing. So thank you, Jed. Thank you, Eric, for inviting me. Um, so I actually want to thought it would be a good idea to talk about really when I was born, because I was born at a point when desegregation was rising. And so when desegregation was rising, there was there were a lot of schools pretty much that were finally coming together. Right. We had schools for black kids at one point in time where specifically black kids or African-American students went to school. And then, you, of course, you had your white schools. Right. Um, I started out, interestingly enough, in an all-African-American school. So really, I had no context about white-black issues. Interestingly enough as well, I didn't even understand if there was any racial issues because everyone that lived in my neighborhood, um, they were nice. We lived around white people. We lived around um, Asian-Americans, of course, African-Americans as well. So really didn't have any idea about what racism was, not until I went to an all-white school. And that's when I started to experience racism. Mm. And I was, it was interesting because I almost felt like the teachers did not know how to communicate with me. I almost felt like they did not know how to interact with me. They didn't know how to respond to maybe my, my idiosyncrasies, my behavioral issues. And I was immediately told that like I had ADD because of some behavioral issues, but I was outstanding, had already done great work prior to going to this all all white school. And so getting great grades. And the next thing you know, um, I was told that I had ADD and I should be put on medicine. And of course, my mom, who was um, she was a head of admissions at Johns Hopkins University at the time. She said, no, I wasn't. That wasn't going to happen. So of course, my mom put me in activities and that sort of thing. But make a long story short, I, throughout my whole life, I went to all white, pre- predominantly white schools, and I was always a minority. I had literally been had literally been accused of starting fights in mm. school and um, the disciplinary issues mm-hmm. um, with me were always blown out of proportion. If white students had done the same thing that I had done, literally, I was going to be suspended while maybe another student would may have a detention or something like that. Mm. Um, so I learned earlier that I had to work hard and I learned early that I had to do my best so that I would stay out of trouble. And I learned early that I had to actually do better than other students so that I could be I could receive honors and that sort of thing. So um I guess my last experience going to all white school and, and, and also let me just add this in there. Um, I was, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, we, we were, I was in your, your average black family. We went to church every single Sunday. 
um, we we went to prayer every single morning at 5 a.m. and and we were in church all day on Sunday. And in between services, you ate your meal. Um, of course, the you had your you had your fried chicken, you had your mac and cheese, you had your soul food, right? That was that was the thing that was a part of the African American community meal. That was your typical Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon meal. And, you know, enjoyed it, loved it. Yeah. However, but at the same time, you know, I enjoyed growing up as a Christian in a Christian home. I went to two different churches, however. My dad, he went to a non-denominational church and my mom went to a Baptist church. And there was always conflict in the home about those two churches because my daddy, my daddy believed that there was more, that the non-denominational church was more Bible believing. And he felt he had his views about the Baptist um, traditions. And so it was in the non-denominational churches where they were literally all nations. And I loved it. Mm. I was baptized with the spirit at the, um, at the non-denominational church. The Baptist church was all black. And so I heard a message Sunday in and Sunday out about salvation, about the cross every single Sunday. And in the typical Baptist church, the pastor ended the sermon singing his words, you know, and on the third day, and you hear the organ go, the, organ the going, Lord yeah. raised, yeah, he was raised from the dead, you know, that sort of thing. And they call that hooping, right? And so that was a part of like, if you will, the African-American church experience where the last 10 to 15 minutes of a preacher's sermon was literally singing his words, which is unique within itself, which is an art within itself, which is beautiful within itself. I love it. However, my dad didn't like that. So we went to the non-denominational church more so. And that's when I got a taste of all nations worshiping, the, worshiping together. Mm. I thought it was a beautiful thing. I worship with Africans. I Africans. I worship with Asians, Asian Americans. I, I worshiped with Jamaicans, people from different islands and that sort of thing. I can I can tell you about Norval Hayes, Kenneth Hagen, all those guys used to come to our church. Bensa Itahosa from out of Africa. Huge revival happening in Baltimore. So that was really an explosive time, a necessary time, and it was it was a huge redemptive time for Baltimore. That's kind of like my my experience in the body of Christ and just kind of like growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, where I'm originally from. But as I grew up, I went to HBCU, Historically Black College and University. And I was literally culture shocked because literally from ages nine all the way up to 17, I had been in a predominantly all white school. And when I went to more, when I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, I saw all these black guys and I was like, oh, it was like, I never knew this existed. It was, it was beautiful. And, and so I met all different types of African-American males from different backgrounds, different beliefs. And that was just extraordinary within itself. As it relates to racist experiences, most of my experiences happened in the classroom. Microaggressions, comments made, once again, probably most obvious, just the disciplinary things, you know, things my friends did, my white friends did, they didn't get in trouble for, but if I did exactly what they did, I would probably get a more strenuous consequence for it. There would be strenuous consequences. So that's kind of like, you know, the most of my, my racist, if you mm -hmm. will, experiences. 
You mentioned um, earlier we were talking and you mentioned that uh, while you didn't grow up in an in inner city area of Baltimore, your your parents did take you around and drive you around these inner city areas. What was your reaction to that when you saw that? Wow. Well, first, let me say thank you for 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 remembering that, because my parents would take us in there in those neighborhoods to teach us a few things. One, it's important to get a good education to so that you would not end up in poverty like that. So that that, that was the that was the purpose of of taking us in the, the inner city neighborhoods that that were not economically stable mm-hmm. and not economically um, progressive as well. When I went into those neighborhoods, I just kind of like, I'm very fortunate. That was the attitude that I had. But it was also, how come these people that look like me live like this, but I don't live around them? I don't see them on a daily basis. I don't know about any of their habits. I don't know how they think. I don't know how they live. It was literally, to me, another perhaps nation. Mm. Well, that really actually is a great segue into the, really the, the next question that I want to ask. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Jed, because, it, it, you know, it, what Donnie is describing is effectively a result of many, many, many years of policies and things that were done in this country. And, and many of these things were done intentionally to create conditions that, kept black people in America in conditions of poverty. We know about Jim Crow laws. We know about, you know, forced segregation. Of course, Donnie was talking about uh, a time of integration. I actually uh, had a similar experience. I mean, the school that I went to in in California before we went to Israel was part of a forced, um, not forced segregation, forced forced integration of uh, black children coming out of the inner city areas of Oakland, California, mm. and they were being bussed into predominantly white communities in the Berkeley area and so on. But um, that's another whole s- story. But how, from, from speaking as a, as a white European person, you know, you've got um, lineage that goes back to England, probably fitting, I would say, the white evangelical narrative and, and the perspective that, you know, that, you know, you're coming from and how you were raised. How do you, how do you react to, uh, you know, what, you know, what you've seen and what you're hearing from people like Donnie? And of course, mm. I mean, and you talked about briefly at the intro, these issues that have been rising up in our nation. Of course, the George Floyd incident was probably mm. one of the larger catalysts, but that's not been the only issue that has caused, I mean, we've had the LA riots and we've had uh, the, in the 1960s, I think there were riots in seventies. And then we had uh, riots in the 1980s and 90s in California. So, I mean, this is a, this has been a simmering issue for many, many, many decades. Right. Um, I want to just honor you, Donnie. Thank you for sharing your part of your journey. Sure. Um, I think for me, I, I would just start, you know, I, I come from a military family. So my father and, you know, for those that have been tracking with our podcast can hear the more of the story. I won't belabor it here, but you know, that is a culture within itself, within American culture would be an armed forces experience. And that was my experience of, you know, picking up and moving every two to three years, new school, living on a base. And the military is one of the more integrated aspects of, of, of the American working force, right? Mm. Um, 
And, and so I was not aware of racism as a white kid until I watched the movie Glory. If you remember that, Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, and Matthew Broderick telling a true story of a, a black regiment in the Civil War. I think I was 12 or 13 when it came out. And I remember seeing on the big screen, and again, military family, right? Like, I've always been interested in history, military history, ancient history, but I come from a military family. So I'm watching a military story about American history. And the movie puts the, the racial tension in your face and lets you experience it. I remember crying in that film and it breaking my heart of realizing you know, there's a couple scenes of just abuse that's being perpetrated onto black Americans. And it affected me to the point where I was actually crying. And I was talking to my parents afterwards about it and processing, man, what is going on? I didn't understand much about the Civil War at that time because we got into it a little bit later. I was a little, little older before we got into the history of the Civil War. And I began to understand from a social studies perspective, some of the dynamics that were happening in American history. But I, I, I share that as a story because, number one, as a 12 or 13-year-old at the time, I did not have to think about racism. It wasn't part of my world. Mm -hmm. I was just living as a kid in America, playing games, hanging out. I, it never hit me till I saw that movie. So, you know, Black Americans, First Nations, other ethnic, ethnic groups in America don't have that experience that I had. They have to deal with their ethnicity and ethnic pain and tension in our country much earlier than I, I did, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, but you're actually hitting on a really important issue, which is that you were, I think you said 12 or 13, and you happen to watch this movie and you're deeply impacted by it. But clearly there was something missing in your upbringing. I mean, because you were not being informed of the, the real history of this nation. Mm. And, and I'm not here, I'm not trying to, you know, bash America, you know, Amer you know, I'm not anti-American. I'm not, you know, I don't hate America, but there is a history to this nation that maybe some of us are not getting in school. Right. Maybe we're not, and maybe not even in high school, for example, later on. And I, and I remember, you know, in college studying American history, but it, it, it was almost like it just went through, and I, and I wouldn't use the word sanitized per se, but it just, it focused on specific events. And you can't hit on every single event in, in history per se, but right. it's like it laid out a timeline of this is, you know, the railroad was built and, the, you know, the colonizers came in. And mm. it's like just a series of events. But what was the underlying history? What was, what was going on, you know, in, in people's lives and how was the expansion and the colonization of America affecting the, you know, the First Nations people. I mean, we know that many died from disease and cholera and so on, but the, those little details that, right. you know, and we, we read about the Civil War, but, you know, why were these policies in place? You know, what caused slavery in the first place? Why was it perpetuated? Who supported it for all these years? And, and, and really the key question I want to ask you is why was the church through the these things that happened in in history, good and or bad, so seemingly com complacent and even maybe complicit in participating and supporting these things that happened in this country. So I, I feel like there is something there that that the American public is not hearing and they're not getting. 
I think you're, you're touching on something that's, it's the power of narrative. What is, we all live in a story. What is the story that we're living in? And I can just tell you, just speaking for myself, of my understanding of America, a group of people fled under religious persecution to come to have religious freedom. They were fleeing tyranny. And to maybe have a gross oversimplification in my understanding was the American colonists were like David, innocent and young, scrappy. Mm -hmm. And the British crown was like Goliath. And they were picking on these little American colonists who just wanted to get on with life. Mm -hmm. And the British crown was imposing harsh laws and unjust. They were imposing tyranny on little David. And so God David up and helped David overcome Goliath through the Revolutionary War. And through Manifest Destiny, which is actually a, a term that was taught to me, Implicitly, God willed that we possess the land of North America. And that's what was taught. Right. It that's, was God's will that that happened. Well, we call it manifest destiny, which is not, uh, you know, it's not a theological term, a sociological term or historical term, but it, it boils down to the same point. Uh, it's your right to possess this land. When I was taught that in, in high school, they said it was God's will that we will manifest this destiny, the westward expansion. Wow. It's crazy. <laughs> so, but think about that, right? Yeah. We're, we're, a, we're a product of our environment, environment mm -hmm. conditions. Yeah. And so what we're taught really matters. Take, we were talking before we went on air about, you know, take Christopher Columbus. We have a national holiday, Christopher Columbus discovered America. And, you know, we're grateful for that discovery. So we have this national holiday. But what we don't really talk about is the dark side of that discovery and what was happening to the indigenous people groups that Christopher Columbus encountered. They have a story, too. But we don't want to focus on that part of the narrative because it's, there's, uh, it's ugly. Let's only focus on the positive things, Jed. It's dark. Right. It's dark. But it is, it is true. And so... What, what version of the narrative are we being taught? And what's the, the cumulative effect of these narratives that are being brought forth and taught to children on any, of any, any ethnicity about who they are, about what America is, about what the vision is of, you know, we call ourselves the United States of America. But when you study American history, we've really struggled with being united. Over, over many, many decades, as you said, Eric. And so I think as believers, you know, if I take off my American hat and I put on the disciple of Jesus hat, which I should never take that hat off, but, you know, <laughs> my kingdom alliance, allegiance comes higher than any other potential identity that would mm -hmm. uh, try to cause me to want to live in that identity. So I live in my kingdom identity as a disciple of Jesus, and I happen to live in America, and I happen to be an American citizen. But if we look at what is, what is the believer's call in this time right now, a time of division, a time of tension, a time of just wrestling through who we are as Americans and which way are we going to go in, you know, whether that's politically, when we look at foreign policy, everyone has a lot, all these opinions, but I would just submit to you guys and to our listeners, 
only one opinion really matters, and that's King Jesus. And are we willing to overcome ourselves and our brokenness to, to choose the gospel, to choose his way and his path? And he said up front, this is a narrow path. You know, following Christ requires that we decrease and he increases. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the essence of the gospel. And the gospel cuts right across all of our ethnic enmity and division. And we've talked a lot about this, you know, Ephesians 2 and 3. What God is defining as the one new humanity, Jew and Gentile together, united by our shared faith in Jesus. And so how do we engage the culture with truth and light and love for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom? Because he loves everybody that calls this this land home. And so I'm talking about honor and forgiveness and healing and love and being like honest with each other. And more importantly, be honest with ourselves about the story of this country. Well, really, it's about as Christians reconciling with this issue, not even really so much as Americans, because Jesus said to seek first the kingdom yes. of God. And so it's, it's imperative that we as Christians are able to separate ourselves and see ourselves as citizens of a future kingdom that is yet to come to the earth. And while America is a great nation, we still live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that is still dominated by sin and sinful, the sinful nature of man. And frankly, we have to be honest, we live in a world that is also under the dominion for now of the prince of the air and the prince, the principalities of darkness that still have limited and temporary dominion over all the nations of the earth, including this nation and even the nation of Israel. So there's a time that is coming. It says, and now the kingdoms of this world have become That's right. the kingdoms of our Lord and our Savior. Yeah. So there is a time that is coming. We are living in this in-between phase. So this is a great place for us to end. I think this discussion so we can pick it up in our next episode because I want to really focus on the church and our calling as Christians to live in a world where, you know, the kingdom is here in us, but not here yet in the earth. How do we wrestle with that? Uh, how do we live in a world in this nation and a world that is still plagued with sin and with darkness? How do we really be ministers of reconciliation, bearers of light and truth. Truth is extremely important. I think that as Christians, we should be able to expose all truth, dark, whatever, how, no matter how dark the truth is, and to wrestle with it, to, to really seek out what is the absolute truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the, the life of all men. So it's, it's, it's okay for us to seek out what is the truth, what happened, even if it's a dark narrative. That's right. So thank you for joining us in uh, this episode of our Commission podcast. And uh, we invite you to come back. We look forward to having you join us again in our next episode. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Permission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.